0: Welcome to our podcast, Deconstruct. We're your hosts, Lauren and Adam.
1: On this podcast, we help start or continue conversations about the beautiful and messy parts of life. Although we both had a conservative upbringing, we've since grown out of our traditional ways of thinking and have deconstructed the religious lenses we once saw the world through.
0: From being in the CCM industry and purity culture to sex positivity and sacred sovereignty, it's been quite the ride. We bring on a wide variety of guests to hear their story and break down topics like religious trauma, racism, and the patriarchy, while demystifying things like spirituality, equality, and love.
1: We'd love to hear your story. You can find us on Instagram at deconstruct.pod. Now, on to the episode.
0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the podcast. Today, we have Dr. Laura Anderson, and she is a psychotherapist specializing in complex trauma, focusing on sexualized violence, domestic violence, and religious trauma. She is co founder of the Religious Trauma Institute and founder of the Center for Trauma Resolution and Recovery, which is an online coaching practice with all of their practice- practitioners specializing in. And working with people who've experienced religious trauma, adverse religious experiences, faith deconstruction, healing from purity culture, and so much more. So Dr. Laura, welcome to the podcast. Hi there. Thank you so much for having me. We're so excited to have you cuz yeah. at this point now, we've I talked, we've to, talked everyone to everyone you've everyone hired. On your team. <laughs> so
1: here we are, just working our way through the ranks.
2: I love it. So yes. We're so excited to <laughs> to Clearly talk we to love you. what you're
1: doing Clearly. and everybody Thanks. that you bring on, we think you make yeah. beautiful choices and I think it's obvious in the message of what you're trying to do with with everything and and all the trauma counseling that you're trying to do for people. You've got the right intentions in mind and you're finding the right people for it.
0: Yes, because I'm very picky with who we bring on. And so clearly we stand Religious Trauma Institute and the Center for Trauma Resolution and Recovery. Yes. Thank you. (laughs) I
2: I appreciate that. And I work with amazing people. Um, I'm like in awe all the time that I'm like, oh, my gosh, you work for me. Like, I want to be your client. (laughs) That's
0: great. That's amazing. (laughs) Surrounding yourself with uh, amazing, skilled and beautiful people. That's 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 great. Yes, absolutely. So you specialize in um, complex trauma and Mm -hmm. I want to get into that and how that differs from normal trauma. But first, Mm -hmm. there's a lot of people, including myself, who are confused about names like psychologist, psychiatrist, (laughs) psychotherapist. So you you are psychotherapist. Okay, you're a psychotherapist. (laughs) What does that mean? How does that differ from the others?
2: Yeah. So psychotherapist is a psychological therapist. And most people use that to differentiate between like a massage therapist Mm -hmm. or something like that. And so it's just a, a psychotherapist could be somebody who has a credential, like a licensed marriage and family therapist, a licensed social worker, a licensed professional counselor, It kind of all falls under this umbrella of a psychotherapist a psychologist um you have to have your doctorate to call yourself that and you can do some more things with diagnosing and assessment testing all those fun things and a psychiatrist is going to be somebody that you're going to go to for medicine um and they are essentially uh psychological doctors if that's Makes sense. That's like the quick overview. Yeah, that's
0: perfect. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, I just, I feel like having the, we're going to lay the groundwork for this conversation Mm -hmm. and know exactly what you do and where you're coming from. So, um, that being said, you specializing in complex trauma, I said Mm -hmm. I wanted to get into that. How does that, how is that differing from a normal trauma, quote unquote, if you could call it that?
2: (laughs) Sure. Well, you know, trauma is trauma. And I guess, you know, I want to start off with like, do you guys have a working definition of what trauma is? Just so we're all on the same page. <laughs> n- n- when why don't you just tell us? Sure. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> well, I'll give you my short, kind of like catchy version, and it's that trauma is not the thing that happens to us, but it's the way that our body or our nervous system responds to the thing that happens to us. Mm. So oftentimes trauma is the result of something that's too much, too fast, too soon, too overwhelming, and where we don't have access to what we would consider normal coping. Of course, normal is very subjective. Um, But it's something that overwhelms us and we're not able to come back to a sense of safety or perhaps never even had a sense of safety to begin with. And that's more complex trauma, which we'll get into. But I think it's important to understand that because what that means is that there is nothing inherently traumatic. Um, If that were Mm -hmm. the case, then everybody who goes through a similar experience would all have trauma that could result in PTSD or or complex PTSD. And we know that's not the case. Um, we know that there are certain things that are more likely to lead to results of trauma, but we can't say that everything is trauma. So we can't say that for sure war is trauma or for sure religion is trauma. Um, but there is a possibility that based off of your experiences and maybe how long you were in those systems or, um, the type of support that you had or didn't have that your body, your nervous system, it was, it was too much and it did result in trauma. So that is kind of a really condensed (laughs) kind of definition of like, what is trauma? But then when you talk about like, I think what you're saying is like PTSD versus complex PTSD Mm. or CPTSD. And so typically PTSD is going to be like your shock traumas, so like the car accident, the, you know, witnessing something really horrific. Mm, mm -hmm. And a good way to differentiate that is that it was, there was a before and then the thing happened and there was an after. And, And so we can look back and we can say this moment, this thing happened to me and my body responded in this certain way, but there was a time where I didn't feel this way, where you know, I I didn't feel triggered or I didn't feel overwhelmed. And so that can, that's PTSD typically. And then complex PTSD is when we're looking at, um, over time, sustained, prolonged, um, overwhelming experiences, neglect, um, domestic violence, I consider religious trauma to fall into that category because many of us had no way to escape. This was our life. Um, this is something that was always present. There wasn't a before. Mm-hmm. And the after only happens, you know, when we make choices to deconstruct or to leave the the faith. And there's many instances, small or large, um, that kind of categorize or color that time in that situation. And so oftentimes then we, we end up with what is called a more complex PTSD, where we might not be able to look back and say, here, this thing happened, but it was patterns over time, it was habits and overwhelm that was just kind of embedded into your body and brain. Um, and you can have PTSD and complex PTSD, because there might be right. some very specific things that have happened, Ah, uh, within the context of that system or relationship, um, but then we we also yeah have the complex trauma where ne- there doesn't have to necessarily be the one thing that yeah. that happens. Gotcha. Yeah, does that
0: help? That's great. Yeah, thank you for explaining that. I'm I'm <laughs> learning so much already. Well, well, like, yeah. Five minutes in, <laughs>
1: right. it feels like such a validating <laughs> thing already because I'm sure, yeah. especially in the deconstructing world, we run into people all the time. Yeah. that have a hard time allowing themselves to believe that they have trauma mm-hmm. because Add they're like sp- there isn't a moment there isn't a specific thing mm-hmm. a lot of people experience this what mm-hmm. makes my experience so much more challenging is it me all of these different things that like there's yeah. there's nothing to point to yeah but, right. there, but there still is there still is pain there still mm-hmm. is fear there still is anxiety mm-hmm. and it's great that yeah. you're addressing that specifically and and so head on yeah.
2: Yeah. I think it is helpful to have that language and to have that understanding because it can actually reduce so much shame. You know, yeah. it's it's often easy to compare our experiences to somebody else's and to say, well, they had it worse or that thing didn't happen to me. And so I need to just like get over it. I need to Mm. let go of this because even though I'm having all these physiological responses, I didn't have X, Y, or Z happen to me. And so when we realize that trauma is our nervous system's response uh, versus the thing that happened, it allows us to validate what is going on and to say, sure, I didn't have X, Y, or Z happen, but my body still had a response, prolonged, overwhelmed, whatever, that resulted in traumatization.
0: Right. You know, I can, uh, the first time we even discussed this was actually with your very own um, Brian Peck, the room with oh, yes. <laughs> yes, I love uh, Brian. Yeah, yeah, he's amazing. He basically was just so calm and like walking us through uh, yeah. basically complex PTSD, but I don't know if he even used those words which was sure. probably good because <laughs> I, I don't know i was like
1: we needed i was a, ready to yeah. hear what he
0: was saying the yeah. way he said it and i was it was yeah. the first time that i realized that i had some things that i i had yeah. complex ptsd things mm-hmm. that weren't like oh this wasn't like a one jarring moment, but it was just this overall nervous system. He talked a lot about Mm -hmm. the nervous system, which, you know, I've heard you speak about it now um, Mm -hmm. several times. And it really resonated with me because I don't feel as if I've been, as a lot of people would use the word traumatized, like there Mm -hmm. wasn't a one moment occurrence. Um, So I think that's, I, I love the way that you've explained it now, because now I feel like I have even more, language and more understanding of how to use verbiage to describe what it is that I've gone through and maybe help other people um, have verbiage too. Because I feel like once you claim something or learn something, even about yourself or your own experiences, it just, it that in and of itself brings healing. Because like you said, yes. there's so much shame in the, not even under, knowing or understanding why you feel certain ways, or why you can't get over quote unquote mm-hmm. uh, an experience or a thought process or a bodily reaction to things, um, mm-hmm. and so hearing about and learning about the nervous system has been has been a really um I, I would even venture to say fun experience for me because it's yeah. lightened things up for me because
2: mm-hmm. um, it's mm-hmm. it's
0: shined a light on stuff so and and, yeah. and and I know you've actually mentioned that you have dealt with complex PTSD yourself. Um, -hmm. does working with others who have it and who have had the same, does that help you in your healing process? Or is there ever times where you are triggered by their experiences or how do you navigate that?
2: Yeah, I think that's a great question. And, um, the answer overarching is like, yes, to all of that. Mm -hmm. Um, one of the, One of the wonderful things about therapy just in general is that we are moving to a more relational model where it's not like the stone cold um, expressionless professional behind the clipboard that's just like listening to somebody. Yeah. It is actually a relationship. And so I am 100% affected by my clients in sometimes really difficult ways and other times in just really beautiful ways. Like I cry with my clients a lot because I'm so touched by the things that they're going through, or I can feel their pain with them. Mm -hmm. And of course I, I practice boundaries, right. You know, both like energetic boundaries as well as, you know, (laughs) professional boundaries. But, but I think when you're working with humans, you can't not be impacted. And, and then I, I think also like I I learned so much from them and they might say something that was a part of their story. And I'm like, Oh my God, like I've never thought about that. I, mm. I need to spend some time here. Um, and it's always for me, it's always the clients who on the outside seem so different than me yeah. that I'm like, they're the ones with like these little nuggets that they throw in as they're just kind of processing. And I'm like, Oh, wow. Oh, mm. that's something. <laughs> um <laughs> And so I've, I've been a therapist for, you know, gosh, like coming up on 15 years here. Um, and so I've definitely had to learn how to navigate that in a session of going, Hey, there's this, there's something that happened in this session that really kind of triggers something inside of me. And I allow myself kind of internally to acknowledge there's definitely something going on and I can kind of resource myself in that, moment whether it's um just kind of like putting my feet into the ground and like really really feeling like the sense of the ground underneath me or of my chair um or kind of fiddling with something in my hands so that I'm like kind of getting back into the room and I just whatever that part of me that is triggered I'm usually like hey I hear you I see you Now's not the time but Mm. I promise we'll come back to it yeah um and then i do <laughs> so it's it's definitely um i feel like it's a really sacred profession and a sacred thing to be talking about um but it can definitely be triggering especially with religious trauma being so close to my own story and um and i found that most clients that i have for religious trauma are very interested in knowing bits and pieces of my own story so that they feel seen mm. and known and they go like oh she's gone through this too she can understand me and be supportive so it's an interesting process but I love it <laughs>
0: yeah yeah i mean i i love that you even mentioned your ways of kind of speaking to your your body and your nervous mm-hmm. system and your mind and i i hope um the listeners really hear that because you Mm -hmm. can, anyone can apply that at any time (laughs) of grounding yourself and, and recognizing what it is your body's telling you Mm -hmm. and then saying, Hey, yeah, I hear you. And I'll come back later because I, I feel like that's something that um, I've had to do a lot in, in family uh, circumstances, Mm -hmm. you know, different family situations and environments that I've been in. I've had to do the same where it's like, I really don't want to have to have this conversation right now. I don't want to have to figure this out. I don't want to have to like make a Mm -hmm. scene, but I am listening. I'm -hmm. paying attention and I'm bookmarking so I can go and talk to my body later and have this conversation. And, um, and, but I can't do that unless I find ways to, to ground myself and tell and uh, assure myself that I'm going to come back to that, to that later. So, um, I'm I'm glad you shared that. And I I yeah. use the, the word uh or I guess the phrase had complex PTSD. Is it you still mm-hmm. have complex PTSD? Or I don't yeah. know which way it's I'm supposed to be saying that.
2: Yeah, typically when we look at complex PTSD, we are looking at more of a long term diagnosis.
0: Mm-hmm. Um
2: And that's simply because of the intensity and the length of it. But what I, or of like where the trauma was resulting on when you're in an inescapable situation for years or decades on end, that is probably going to pop up multiple points in your life. However, the way I like to kind of pose it for myself and for my clients is like, yes, you have this diagnosis. However, this doesn't mean, that it's going to be quote unquote, this bad all the time. Like part of therapy Mm -hmm. is learning how to manage that. So like I tell my clients often, you know, it's not that you're never going to be triggered again. In fact, you will be triggered again. It's that when you are, you have access to different resources so that in that moment, you're not, you're not back at 12 years old again, or you're not looking for a place to go hide or you're not dissociating from your body. It's that you're able to recognize what's happening and resource yourself in the moment. Mm. Um, Yeah, so healing is this very ongoing dynamic process. It doesn't have a period at the end of the
0: sentence. Right, okay, okay. Mm -hmm. I've had a family member recently um, (laughs) say that they believe that going to therapy brings up more problems and issues than it helps. What do you say sure. to people who have that mentality <laughs> who are afraid to go to therapy because they're like I'm working yeah. fine I know mm-hmm. there's stuff but like if I go it's probably just going to bring up yeah. more things and it's going <laughs> to mess yeah. everything up What what do you say to that that person <laughs> I'd say I I agree.
1: (laughs) Not helpful. Great.
2: Okay. Yeah. No, I, I mean, I can like part of my own therapy story is that like, I remember the first time I went and my therapist was like, like clearly like just reflecting back, like, Hey, this is kind of concerning. And I was like, No, no, I don't. I don't want to go there. (laughs) Like like, I'm not going to go there. And so, yeah, so I totally like put it off for a decade because I'm like, this is not what I want to deal with. But yet, it needed to be. It it was there anyways, and and I needed to actually be able to get to the root of it, um, to actually really experience some of that healing. But I would say, you know, I, I tell this to my clients all the time. Therapy does bring up stuff that we might not know is there that we might not like being there, that might be really difficult that we've tried to forget. And I'm going to really honor and respect that process. So I'm never going to force somebody to go into anything that they are not ready to. Um, but it's also important to know that, yeah, sometimes it can feel worse before it gets better. Or sometimes there's really unexpected things that come out and we can't plan or prepare for that. We can just work with it as it comes. But I, therapy to me is like spring cleaning where you like you pull everything out and it looks way messier Mm -hmm. and you've got to like go through it and you get rid of some stuff you know you give it to goodwill you throw other stuff away you organize and then you start putting stuff back and then it looks okay but it's not it's not without it being real messy (laughs) to get to that point
0: right Right, yeah, I mean, yeah. that's how I'd like to think about it too, so I hope mm-hmm. they listen
1: to that epi- this episode. Um, um, so you said you had waited ten years um, to deal with that for yourself were right. you were you in process of a i mean deconstruction? i right were you in process of a deconstruction? Were you on your way to psychotherapy uh as a profession yourself? like yeah. where was that in your journey?
2: so in terms of the ten years piece, like my therapist had brought up some stuff about just like family of origin. And I thought, no, I don't want to deal with this. I'm not going to, and I'm going to deal with everything else except this. Yeah. <laughs> and and so I did, and I did great work, except that wasn't like that part of me now is like, if I would have just maybe dealt with this other stuff, I could have made the path so much easier, <laughs> but it's fine. Um, and so I, I, all the work that I did, I feel incredibly, um, w- was incredibly valuable and I, yeah. I wouldn't do it any other way at this point. Um, but yeah, it was, I just wasn't ready to go there at mm. all. And so, and, and I actually thank my body for knowing that, um, there was a lot of resistance and I think I probably wouldn't have had the internal resources and support I would have needed to be able to go through that. And, you know to be honest i had other things going on in my life that truly did need some immediate um attention and yeah. wouldn't have been helpful to go back into some of that stuff so yeah does that answer the question yeah yeah, yeah for sure <laughs>
0: okay. when yeah. you when you mentioned in the beginning you know you mm-hmm. can't label things as trauma right like you can't mm-hmm. just like blanket yeah label things mm-hmm. you brought up war you brought up even religion Um, and something that I've, I've seen you say is, um, religion shouldn't hurt. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and I, we've been asking this question to people lately and I've been, I've loved hearing everyone's responses. Um, Mm. do you think religion can truly exist without hurt?
2: I think that is a very complex
0: question. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Hence why we've been asking everyone. Yeah. I
2: tend to believe that systems are not, like systems and organizations are not necessarily created with the individual's best interest at Mm -hmm. heart. And when that's the case, um, we're going to come up against some built in systems of oppression and patriarchy and other things that weight some people above others and, uh, create hierarchies and orders that may not, that, 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 just don't take the individual into consideration. And so, um, if religion happens to fit in there, then, um, I would say we, we would need to look at, is there a way that it, that it couldn't hurt, um, right. Right. as it stands currently in that systemic 'Cause it is a system.
1: Right, right. If you can if you can switch it more toward an individual approach of of religion, yes. then yeah. that, that's where you get into practices mm-hmm. and spiritual practices of <laughs> your own and meditation and yeah. embodiment work. And yeah. I think all of that is super important, especially mm-hmm. in things like deconstructing or mm-hmm. unraveling mm-hmm. your faith or however you'd like to, to put it. Because <laughs> I, I feel like I feel like a lot of different things resonate with a lot of different people in that of course. But, um yeah. But it's. Yeah. It, I feel like there's there's something about bringing back that structure and that and mm-hmm. that and the movement or the liturgy of actually having a religion. And do mm-hmm. you is that something as you're working with people through religious mm-hmm. trauma? Is that is that something that you try to intentionally keep, or is that more of like a person by person thing?
2: Yeah, I def- definitely person by person. So I have zero goals of where I would ever want a client to end up. Um, And and my my practice, the Center for Trauma Resolution and Recovery, we all operate that way. We are not anti-religion. And so um, if you're doing trauma work and rejoining a religion, whether it's the same religion, something different, you know, a spiritual group, whatever, like, if that's for you, I and my my um, everybody else will support yeah. that. Yeah. We are anti-harm, anti-power, anti-control, anti—you know—toxic uh, teachings and, and these sorts of things. Um, but I think to say that religion is bad and it it cannot work for anybody and there is nothing good or redeemable about it—that to me feels very fundamentalist on the mm. other yes. side of the spectrum.
1: Yes. Totally.
2: And so I know that there are a lot of people that would say in order to actually heal from religious trauma, you must be an atheist. And I would say that's dangerous territory because now you are prescribing a way of believing and navigating this world that you must do this in order to heal. And that is, that's another religion in and of itself. (laughs) Yeah,
0: no, I I definitely agree. Uh, Mm Um, so yeah, thank you for sharing your thoughts on that hard question. (laughs) Um, but I really, I wanted to dive into some recent, um, topics.
2: Um,
0: I wanted to dive into the Matthew West situation. Uh (laughs) (laughs) So for those who don't know, um, we stay
1: current around here. Yeah, we
0: stay current Uh around here. Um, (laughs) but Matthew West recently uploaded a song and video called modest is hottest. Mm -hmm. Um, Where he uses his wife and his daughters as props, basically, to try to put a funny uh, little bow on purity culture (laughs) when really he's just perpetuating toxic theology uh, Mm of modest is hottest and to cover up because, uh, as he says, the boys are coming around. Mm -hmm. Um, So I want to hear your take on this video.
2: (sighs) Yeah, it is unfortunately catchy, and yeah, I, I'm very sad about that because <laughs> I have had one of the, his lines like running through my head, not in like a it's sinking in way, but of just like, oh, why is this catchy? You just yeah. keep singing um, it. Yeah. 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 So um, on a, as a whole, I think it's awful. Um, <laughs> th- I think there's a lot of problematic things with it. Of course, like you said, it is Propping at purity culture and saying, "Oh, ha, ha! We're just being funny," as if like that's okay, you know, to objectify or to promote this message and to say, in a funny way, "This is women. Here's how you must dress," and then like this is how you're going to behave if my daughter isn't dressed this way. Um, And so it does damage to everybody, um, which purity culture does. But I think that there's this, you know, very much it's promoting this double standard, of course, that it's the woman's job to make sure that the man doesn't lust or stumble or whatnot. And, um, and that, yeah, the, the men are just so, animalistic (laughs) that they will be unable to control themselves uh if they are in a situation where in this case you're not wearing a nice path uh like nice pair of slacks and a (laughs) a, a turtleneck Turtleneck, right um (sighs) you know and the comment that i made (laughs) <laughs> on his post i just was like where's the song about like respect and and dignity not because of what happens in your pants when you see somebody but because <laughs> of like they're a human being and they deserve it yeah you know and so it's just it blows me away i don't know if you guys saw that his daughter like yes. did the series of videos which i just thought was so poorly like such poor taste. It was for icky. so many reasons. It was very icky. And I just wanted to be like, honey, like the reason that you're that people are having a problem with your dad's song is not because we actually think that you are made to wear khaki pants and turtlenecks. That's not it at all. It's no. because you're being objectified and this is promoting a larger message. So I know that's a little all over the place, but I know it's been like a hot thing on Instagram and TikTok and Facebook the last couple of days, so it's right. just like all coming at you. Well, I yeah. mean,
0: it's it's worthy to be talked about in in the sense of it's it it is gross, yeah. it is icky. Yeah. I mean, what really, I mean, using your wife and daughters and like as props mm-hmm. in a music video, talking about objectifying women's bodies is gross yeah. already. But then yeah. I don't know the fact that they are these girls. I don't know exactly their ages, but just by what it seems like, they look mm-hmm. like they're the coming of age. Mm-hmm. age um, yeah. and it, it just that is like what they are being like thr- the message that is being thrown at them so much right now already and that's probably mm-hmm. why it's on his mind because mm-hmm. it's like probably yeah. conversations they're having over and over in, in their house in their yes. home Um, mm-hmm. I know I remember being that age and I, I did the purity culture ceremonies I had conversations with my yep. dad I yep. was promised this and that and the other if I didn't even kiss until I was married. Yeah, um and yeah. and I'm just like gosh yeah I I just see these girls and I'm like e, you're probably going through the same thing that you know mm-hmm. I was going through and I had no idea the harm that it would cause even like so so many years later and you know oh, yeah. t- and telling us to hide our mm-hmm. our bodies and and to guard our mm-hmm. worth I guess as, mm-hmm. as Christianese would call it um yeah. it's not funny right yeah. it's it's toxic and it's perpetuating mm-hmm. the message that something mm-hmm. is inherently wrong or evil mm-hmm. about our bodies. Um, and, mm-hmm. and so many of us were taught that. How yeah. how do we then, like, I know this is, again, a, another loaded question at you, but, <laughs> um, but just coming from if somebody's watching this video and they're just learning about, well, maybe this is wrong or maybe they're mm-hmm. starting to hear people or read people's comments and being like, well, yeah, I guess that is kind of messed up. Maybe I shouldn't have been taught that. You know, Mm. how do we, how do we heal from the feeling like our bodies are inherently wrong? How do we start to shift that gaze?
2: Yeah, that, that's a huge question. I mean, like multi, multi processes, you know, whatever. (laughs) Um, (laughs) but, um, I mean, there's so many levels to that first is like starting to really address, like, can I even accept that these messages are wrong? Like what is wrong about them? Mm. What is it like to, what does my body feel like when I even acknowledge that that's maybe not a healthy message? Because it's likely that we would cognitively be like, well, that's really effed up. Mm. But in in my body, I might actually be feeling a little bit of panic mm. because I just said that, right? Because mm. if I've been taught for so long that this is what is right, and if you don't do this, there are grave consequences, not limited to, but including eternal conscious torment, then going, like even toying with these ideas of, you know, modest isn't hottest, or I have a body that is good, you know, like that can cause a lot of um, distress, internal distress, and, and maybe external distress too. But so even like starting to become aware of like what's happening in my body as I'm as I'm um, going through some of these things and yeah learning I have a body right. which sounds really simple but like when you are taught to divorce yourself from your body or to make your body a slave or to die to your flesh that that idea of I have a body and this is my body right like that's a really big deal and it is way harder than what it actually sounds like.
0: Um,
2: and that's almost like the first place to start in my opinion is just starting to recognize I have a body and it is my body. Um, and even as you're saying it, I'm like touching my arm or like, Mm -hmm. as we're having this conversation, Mm -hmm. like reminding myself, like, this is my body. I can feel myself touching my arm. Um, and this is important because for so many years, I, I was so disembodied that like, I couldn't even feel my own touch. Mm, um, wow. and so even reminding yourself, like, this is my hand. okay, <laughs> hey, this is what it feels like to touch my hand. Um, and those are real, really important ways to start to get back into your body. Um, and important as you're starting to disseminate all this cognitive stuff too, and noticing like, oh, as I'm processing this, my stomach is really, really anxious right now. That's really interesting. Mm-hmm. You know, I wonder what would help me feel non-anxious. You know, is there anything else that I need? Do I need to pet my dog right now? Do I need you would know, let help help me feel a little bit soothed? And so starting to notice those things, I think is a huge piece in coming out of purity culture or any sort of high demand control religions. Um, but I know purity culture is a lot of body work of, yeah, yeah, of many different levels. Yeah.
0: I, I love that you said that one of the first things that, um, helped me embrace my body, being a body, Mm -hmm. having a body was especially back when I, I still really identified with, um, the Christian faith was, you know, I, I, I would look to Jesus a lot. And, you know, Mm -hmm. Jesus or even the idea of Jesus and who he was, who he could have been, um, Mm -hmm. helped guide me through a lot of my deconstruction. But specifically, Mm -hmm. when it comes to the body, one of the most healing things for me was recognizing if I believed that Jesus was God and God and also man, Mm -hmm. God had a body. Sure. (laughs) He literally (laughs) gave himself a body. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and so like, yeah. that can't yeah. be bad. Mm-hmm. That's not wrong to have a body, to yeah. be in a body, to have mm-hmm. bodily functions. Mm-hmm. It, that cannot be bad if Jesus right. is good and you know, yeah. and is God. Um, right. if if Jesus is God embodied, then yeah, and I'm supposed to be like Jesus. Yeah, why am I not embodying? My yeah. God within me, and anyway, anyway, that was one of my sure. first things that kind of helped me navigate um, em- embodiment, um, even emotions, because mm. there are certain emotions, especially as a woman in in Christian, mm. uh, in the Christian faith, there's a lot of emotions we're really yes. not allowed to feel, um, yes. or, or it's just kind of looked down upon if you do feel certain things, um, mm-hmm. and so when I was navigating even emotions and allowing myself to not just process, like, see my emotions and analyze mm-hmm. my emotions, but feel mm-hmm. my emotions. Um, mm-hmm. Again, we're looking back at Jesus and him being a human being um, yep. uh, and, and God creating emotions. Mm-hmm. I'm like, wait a second. If Jesus had emotions, mm-hmm. that's good. That's sure. inherently good. Anyway, I, I know yeah. that was just kind of a, a roundabout. And I, I just wanted to mention that, especially for maybe listeners yeah. who still are identifying with um, the the Christian faith. I know we have um, several yeah. people who are still like deconstructing, but really want to keep
1: <laughs> Christianity <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> and really want to keep Jesus. Yeah.
0: And I totally understand. So um, yeah. hopefully that's in- encouraging for maybe somebody who's listening in. Yeah. Uh, I think it's, uh, we, like, we often forget the humanity of
2: Jesus um, and focus on all these other things and try to be like that without realizing, like, (laughs) yeah, if Jesus was a human, you're right. He had a body. He (laughs) had emotions. (laughs) But we're taught that our body is sinful and that our emotions are sinful. Right. And so right. if that's the case, then like then either Jesus was sinful mm-hmm. because he had a body and emotions, mm-hmm. um, which we know we're taught that Jesus had no sin. Right. right. Or perhaps the way that these teachings have been interpreted, or the way that patriarchy has, you know, reinterpreted things so that they can gain more power and control is to shift, you know, and make these rules of the body is sinful. The body, you shouldn't feel that emotions are sinful. And, um, and taking it away from this example of Jesus um, to really, Control other people,
0: Mm -hmm. essentially, right? It is all about interpretation, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Right. Well, I mean, Mm
1: -hmm. in in the Bible, Jesus was very emotional. I mean, I would, I would, Uh, I (laughs) I, I would gander to say that he maybe there's an entire verse. Well, I mean, not an entire verse; it's two words, but it just says Jesus.
2: Jesus wept. Yeah, and that's it. Like just feeling
1: feelings, sweating blood, and all these things, and like, (laughs) and and the biggest miracle in the Bible wasn't even dying to flesh. It was it was coming back. Alive from dying. So, Literally
0: coming yeah. back to flesh. Interesting. Right. Yeah.
1: That's <laughs> so interesting. Maybe, maybe there's something more about reclaiming the body than anything in there.
0: Yeah, Jesus yeah. is all about embodiment. He was <laughs> dead for three days. And he was like, give me that body back. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, anyway, I love, I, I still yeah. love uh, having these conversations about Jesus, even though I don't yeah. technically identify as a Christian anymore. It, it is my it is the home base of my of my knowledge when it comes yeah. in when it comes to religion. And so I genuinely love having these conversations. And yeah. Adam and I also, we were uh in the Christian music industry for many, many we years. Were. And mm-hmm. <laughs> I actually wanted to touch on something that I think you posted on your story today. Um yeah. but so because we come from our CCM history, <laughs> we have a CCM history, um uh, yes. on the podcast, we often talk about uh a few. We bring up a few points about how
1: basically spiritual manipulation. We have,
0: well, we're, uh-huh, I, I yeah. call it worship hypnosis.
1: <laughs> right, right. Um,
0: but yeah, Adam, yes. as a drummer, you know he mm-hmm. he's talked about certain like yeah. swelling yeah, right. of the I drum. Yeah, right. I mean,
1: when when we'd be out on the road and we'd be doing these worship shows, I mean, yeah. I, I knew I could I could pre-calculate in my head the percentage mm-hmm. of hands that would go up in the room if I swelled and I hit the in swell just way. right. Yeah. And, yeah. I mean it, there just <laughs> totally is so too. much that happens in your yeah. body when you're in those kind of spaces.
0: Yes and like and I'm a and I was the worship leader technically mm-hmm. right I was the singer and yeah. so uh, you're the one
1: timing the put your hand in the air. I if am you, uh,
0: Oh yeah. yeah. yeah, that and I think you' what you shared today on your story was talking uh, specifically talked about key changes and I, I always talk mm-hmm. about how key changes, yeah there are like yeah. the spiritual come to Jesus moments. Uh-huh. Um okay, so i I feel like we've already basically said everything, but i I want you to kind of speak from a more clinical standpoint mm-hmm. um wh- what is this what is your take on this worship hypnosis is is it real yeah, how does it work? yeah
1: Hey everyone. want to take a quick moment to say thank you for listening. If you like what you're hearing, please share this episode and rate and review the podcast as it helps others find this online community. Thanks so much. Now back to the episode.
2: So I, yeah, I think it is real. Um, and so I, what I was singing and re- it's my friend, Kevin, his, his Jesus unfollower at, uh, is his Instagram. Yeah. And he had made a meme, something about, isn't it interesting how the Holy Spirit shows up at the keychain? <laughs> <And>, um, <laughs> which I think is funny for so many reasons. Um, <laughs> but what I just shared was like, I'm actually certified in clinical hypnosis. And so that was part of my PhD program. So it's not just, you know, practicing hypnosis. We were doing the research behind it. And so one of my uh research papers that I had done was on the use of hypnosis in religion like is it does that go together And I think there's many instances in the Bible where you could like pretty legitimately say like yeah that was that was a hypnotic thing when they're in trances and deep prayer and 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 whatnot and so the other pieces of the research that we were talking through, like in class and and whatnot was that um that often the techniques from hypnosis, um, are used in church services. And while, um, the actual worship leader and or pastor might not know these are hypnotic techniques, um, they're learned as kind of, this is how you do a service, right? You play right. a couple of songs, you get them into this space, you have this message, and then you play a couple songs out. And so the way that that works with music is, um, it starts to get us into what's called a suggestible state. And so this would happen if you're doing clinical hypnosis, if you're doing any sort of like meditation or guided meditation, um, any sort of like deep trance work or whatnot, where you get into this state where you're Neocortex is kind of shut off a little bit. Your, your ego, um, what is it? The beta brain waves are, are not, not going, you know, that constantly yeah. are rationalizing and trying to figure things out. And those are able to turn off. So it's similar to like when you go to sleep. Um, and you're getting into like the lower frequency brainwave states, which is what happens when we're getting ready to go to sleep or meditating or babies. They're like in a real low brain frequency state. And what happens is the lower the brain frequency is, the more suggestible we become as humans. And what I mean by suggestible is that it um, like our thinking brain is offline, and so the messages that are coming in, we are more prone to being able to uh, kind of latch onto them as Mm -hmm. truth, as something that is real, as maybe a way we should live. And and so we can use that for really positive things, like when we're talking about guided meditation or hypnosis for different things. But then we can also use it for what I would consider negative places where we can get you into kind of this trance-like state where then, somebody can speak a very specific whether it's toxic or harmful or really like you have to believe this thing and we are more prone to accept it without like rash being able to rationalize it or think through it logically or evaluate if that's what we actually think or believe and so the music is used to get you into that more trance-like state which puts you in a more suggestible state and then the pastor comes up and they give this message and you're literally eating it up yeah. and just taking it all in. And then we solidify it with a little bit more trance music and then we send you out on your way. Right. Mm. And we do this over and over, week after week after week. Um, so, yeah, that's a, a little nerdy yeah. <laughs> description. No, that's so, it's so curious yes. to me,
1: too, because like yeah. it, it makes sense. Why yeah. even still, I find myself craving some, mm-hmm. there's still something, even when we do different music at different types of churches or, or different yeah. kind of gatherings mm-hmm. that I'm like, there's something about corporate worship music that just, it yeah. it's different.
0: Is it, is it that, that being said, is, is it addictive? Is this state addictive?
2: Sure. It could be. Yeah because i i think there's also the possibility in that state of like having really euphoric feelings right like you could um it could be like a drug in some ways right. <laughs> yeah well it's like the same um, reason
1: that people continue to meditate and and yes. and progress mm-hmm. in those kind of because it does get you relaxed it does there's a reason you yeah. rock back and forth uncontrollably yes. while you're sitting in a yeah. worship session <laughs> yeah you're literally comforting yourself and giving yourself physical yeah. physical affirmations of the calm state that your mind is in
2: yeah and and mm. i had a i guess it's like a colleague or a peer of mine um when i was doing my phd program who actually did her dissertation on the experience of being in like at in concerts like or um whether it was like at a festival or you know a symphony or whatever and the experience of like what is the collective experience that you have when you're like in listening to this music what is the personal piece that you have and then how do you experience the community around you because all of a sudden you feel really connected that you have this like experience together and so we also see then that worship services create this communal piece as well Mm -hmm. which is a need of ours as humans to have that connection in that community so it's pretty crazy. Yeah.
1: <laughs> well, no wonder our parents warned us about yoga because it's basically
0: the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> That's so true. <laughs> yeah.
1: They're like, yeah. you're not going to need to come back for your, so your Jesus yoga if you go to yoga yoga. Oh
0: my gosh.
2: Yeah. yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. I didn't think about when that. I was deconstructing and I didn't really realize it at the time, I knew what was happening in my body, but I couldn't put words to it. But I had to stop listening to music for probably about five years. Um, It was so, because I grew up in a very musical family. I sang, I led worship. Even here in Nashville, I led worship at uh, the church I went to. And like, it was a huge part of my life. And when I started deconstructing, it was so overwhelming in my nervous system and so scary because music i was like i know the power this has right i can't listen to anything like it was just too uh, overwhelming for me yeah um yeah i think i a had a similar time, experience actually
0: um yeah. I, and i was doing music well and i that's multi-layered probably too i mean sure. you said you were doing music yeah. in the church um mm-hmm. but yeah i mean i had come off the road and it was my yeah. career my identity my my yeah finances my family everything. ties everything so yeah there was i really i really didn't like music at all for a little while which yeah, was, was like weird as three an years. as an artist it was like mm-hmm. what does that even mean do i just did i never like music but that's not the case i was just yeah tra- tra- traumatized uh, honestly yeah. of making it my sure. religion everything. and my yeah mm-hmm. everything um so oh. i definitely um can relate to that and you said like we are we're like always wanting that community and always needing mm-hmm. that um or we're we're we desire it and we talk a lot about yeah. that you know on the podcast mm-hmm. and um I think one of the things that even that you you I think posted on um one of the pages that y- you have um <laughs> which one was it <laughs> I'm trying to remember but you talked about isolation yeah. Um, and oh that was the trauma resolution and recovery page yes um, yeah and you know I know a lot of our listeners they they listen to the podcast and they it, they it makes them feel safe because it's, they don't have to tell anyone. (laughs) No one has to know they're listening to us. Um, but that can sometimes feel lonely. Um, Mm -hmm. and with your post, you're talking about how isolation is a normal symptom in response to trauma. Um, and so many people have felt isolated over the last (laughs) year or so. I mean, because of the pandemic, but also because of the pandemic and just the social media and yeah. everything that it is, um, a lot of people are deconstructing right now, and or yeah. have, and maybe are still mm-hmm. feeling isolated. Why? Why is this feeling of isolation just so normal for people who are deconstructing? And um, what do you recommend, especially the listeners who are newer to this deconstruction mm-hmm. or questioning things? And um, how do they combat that that feeling of isolation?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so isolation and trauma go hand in hand, and that can be a myriad of reasons. So oftentimes trauma happens in the context of relationships. And even though we heal also in the context of relationships, when we've been harmed, it people start to feel scary. Um, whether it's, you know, a specific person or just people in general, um, we might start to feel anxious, you know, about being out in public. Um, and so it feels safer or at least the illusion of safety to be at home, to isolate ourselves. Mm -hmm. Um, trauma oftentimes makes us feel uh, isolated kind of like within our own story of nobody else could understand this. Nobody else has experienced this. There's something wrong with me. Mm -hmm. And it, and it feels scary then to connect with another person. Um, I think when we when we are talking about religious trauma, you know, there's often a lot of community trauma that may have happened in the past, as well as all these people who are wanting to go out for coffee and try to get you back into the faith, or right. try to ask questions that you might not have answers for, um, or you might feel really intimidated by, and so it does feel easier than to isolate. Um, and I think, you know, really wasn't until probably 2016, right around the time of the election that deconstruction and religious trauma became a thing that people talked about on social media. Yeah, Um, I always kind of share like a little anecdote from my life of like, when I started deconstructing, social media was not a thing at all. I'm pretty sure Facebook was around, but not, I mean, not, it wasn't what it is today and Instagram didn't exist and whatnot. So when I left the church, um, I was by myself for about a year. I didn't I thought there was something wrong with me. Surely this was only my experiences. I'm just making too much of this. And then another couple from the church also left about a year after I did. And so we, I kind of like tentatively like texted him one night. I was like, Hey, so I heard you left the church. Could we like talk about this? Cause I, I got to figure this out for myself. Yeah. And, we like legitimately thought that we were the only three people in the world (laughs) (laughs) that were going through this. And it was lovely to have two other amazing people that were going through this, but we were like, nobody, nobody else is having these experiences. Is this, is this really something that happens or are we just the weird ones who couldn't handle it? Mm -hmm. Um, And so Yeah. So all that to say that isolating piece is very real. But then to your question of like, what do you do? Like, how do you deal with that? Because we do know that community is helpful um, as well as terrifying sometimes. And my first thing with anybody who's going through this is to start as small as necessary so that you feel comfortable or safe. And what I mean by that is, it might not feel safe to go out with people. It might not feel safe to be a part of a group again, but what would it be like to join a Facebook group where you can just observe other people sharing their stories and find a sense of commonality, even if you never uh, say anything yourself? Um, What would it be like to, you know, go out with, you go sit at starbucks with nobody else there but just be in the presence of people mm. right so just these like really small things that you go okay my body is learning to tolerate this experience and i'm finding out that perhaps not everybody is dangerous mm. or perhaps community isn't always unsafe and you can kind of build from there. But I always, when it comes to trauma, the smaller and slower we can go, the better. Because if trauma is anything that's happening that's too much, too fast, too overwhelming, then we need to then we need to not like jump in with our healing that's too much, too fast, too overwhelming. We have <laughs> yeah. to go like tiny steps, which yeah. people hate. And my clients all the time, they're like, no, I want to go faster. And I'm like, nope, <laughs> like, just go to Starbucks this week. You yeah. know, that's all. Yeah. Um, but those are some really tiny things. Yeah.
0: Um I mean I think those right. are yeah. those might be tiny steps but I feel like that's yeah. Those are they're big, they're steps. big things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They might be tiny yeah. things but yeah they're big steps. So yeah, mm. I mean I think that's that's helpful. Um Yeah. that'll be helpful for a lot of our listeners and um mm-hmm. I appreciate you being on. I know we're up on our hour now. Um yeah. but I really appreciate all the wisdom and you've really educated us. Yeah. Um I feel mm-hmm. like I have so much better lingo and verbiage and, um, just knowledge now on, uh, a lot of what we've talked about. Um, yeah. complex PTSD and yes, uh, I just, <laughs> I, I, I just love learning, um, from people who yeah. are so much smarter than me. Um, and so, <laughs> uh, yeah. So thank you for being on and, um, people can find you on, I'll, I'll make sure I'll, I'll yeah. all of your your accounts. Um, but is there anything specific that you would like to give a little shout out so people can find you or or a website that you want people to look at?
2: Yes. Thank you for asking that. Um, I mean, I'm most active on Instagram. So my handle is Dr. Laura E. Anderson, but then I do, um, like you said, at the front of the episode, I'm the co-founder of the Religious Trauma Institute. And our focus is on working with help, like helping the helpers essentially. So providing clinical training and consultation and supervision to therapists and coaches and other healers and helpers that are working with people Mm. who are, um, you know, that have religious trauma. Um, and so there's that, and you can find us there. Um, Instagram is at Religious Trauma Institute and our website is almost done being redesigned and Mm. will be up soon. I know it's exciting. And then for those people, I, I also just started my company, which is an expansion of my private practice. And it's, uh, a coaching practice. It's called the Center for Trauma Resolution and Recovery. We, all of our practitioners are highly trained and trauma informed and really have a passion for working with religious trauma. And so um, we are, we do individual coaching and then we also do, uh, now we are offering groups as well, which is uh, awesome for so many reasons. So our Instagram handle is Trauma Resolution and Recovery. And that's our website too, um, traumaresolutionandrecovery dot com. So yeah, those are all the places you can find me and. So perfect. Um,
0: yeah. That's so yeah. awesome. Thank you so much for all the work that you put into helping people, helping people help wow. people. And
1: yeah, you yeah. really hit it on all levels. Yeah. <laughs> so
0: like I said, we're uh, here on deconstruct pod. We, we stand at all your work. Uh, we Thank absolutely you. love it. Um, mm. so, and for, for everyone who's listening, um, just go check out everything because you 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 will not be uh you will not regret it. You will be blessed, you will learn and you will feel that community. Yeah. Um and yeah, thank you all for listening and until next time. Bye. bye.